This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning. How are you? Happy Monday. Yeah, we get to do it all over again this week, right? I've got a great show lined up for you. I want to start out, though, with uh, it's a little bit of schadenfreude. Gotta tell you, a little bit of schadenfreude here. And I know that sometimes you should feel guilty about it, especially if you take too much joy in your opponent's pain. But every now and then, seeing something ill befall, you know, someone with you don't necessarily love or don't see eye to eye with or you deem an enemy. I think every now and then it feels great. So you're starting to see it happen all across the country. Here's, here's the, this is the way I view it. You can disagree with me. I'm going to take your calls at 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. The left for years now has been, I, I think they've been behind the scenes uh, t- taking joy in uh, the rise of Antifa because they thought the Antifa was on their side. Now, Nancy Pelosi should have seen that they weren't because a couple of years ago, they like removed her from a stage or boot her off a stage and they were yelling at her and heckling her. And she should have seen that should have been one of the first hints that Frankenstein's man monster was coming back to the castle and bringing friends with him. And she didn't. And, but they have kind of given a, a tacit nod of the head to Antifa. Right. These are protesters. These are these are these are people who are, you know, for Black Lives Matter. We've 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 blurred the line between Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And and Antifa has been able to don the cloak of of um, justice by that line being blurred intentionally or unintentionally. To me, the line between the two movements has been blurred. And Black Lives Matter has gotten a lot of respect as well because this, they're righteous and they're for equal rights. And, and even though there were hints at the edges that maybe this wasn't so much, you know, what you think it is, uh, they ignored it. They ignored it, the, the rumblings on the side from some of the crowd, you know, screaming and yelling. They ignored it because for the most part, it started off with good intentions. Now, then a couple of weeks ago, you started to see on Twitter defund the police hashtag defund the police trending on Twitter. And we find out that black lives matter is for defunding the police. And they, and they have millions of dollars. Black lives matter has tons and tons and tons of money. They're funded by George Soros. They get all sorts of, of donations from all the Hollywood elitists who are trying to, you know, pay their absolutions, you know, so they can get into heaven and, and, um, a plenary indulgence as, as Catholics like to call it. And, and so you start to see this hashtag Black Lives um, Defund the Police now is rising. So I'm like, huh, so Black Lives Matter is really about in order for black lives to matter and in order for there to be social justice, you have to defund the police, according to them. Left didn't see this coming. Now they're seeing it coming. And boy, they've seen it coming at them hard. Let's go to Minneapolis, shall we? Where the good boy mayor, Jacob Fry, have you seen this guy? He looks like he's 12. He's like Justin Trudeau. Right. He, he, lo- he looks like he you know, just got out of his uh, f- a frat meeting and, and here he comes and he's he's the boy mayor. 
And um, he was asked by the brain crowds about defunding the police department. And he was on Good Morning America. And he asked about this. And here's what he had to say. Am I for entirely abolishing the police department? No, I'm not. And so over the coming days and weeks, I'm looking forward to working with council and talking with them about deciphering what particularly they mean uh, when they say ending and abolishing. Well, he found out this weekend because he was he was there uh, at a protest speaking at a protest you know because they come out and and the the braying mob now commands you to kneel in front of them or one cop was laying police chief was laying on his face with his hands behind his back like he was George Floyd where they all took pictures of him and so not only do you, do they tell you how you must present yourself but they also command speech from you and one of the things that started with do you do you believe that all black that black lives matter and if you say if you say anything but yes you are driven from the public square and tarred and feathered and driven out of town on a rail and your life is over. They will drive you into bankruptcy. You can never work anywhere again. So politicians have learned that you rapidly shake your head and say, yes, yes, absolutely. I agree. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Well, now it's do you want to defund the police? And so the, the brain mob insists that politicians come out there and they and uh, they were he was asked yes or no. Yes or no. Will you advocate for defunding the police? Will you defund the police in Minneapolis? Yes or no, yes or no. And they were screaming at him. And they hand on the microphone. And, 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 and the woman who was asking him this says, remember, he's up for election next year and we know what we can do. And so they, put, they basically hang the sword of Damocles over him and say to him, you, know, you don't say exactly what we want you to say. Boom, off with your head because you're running for re-election next year. And what happens? He says, no. He says, no, I'm not for defunding the police. They start screaming and yelling. They were yelling, shame, shame. I mean, they did everything but shave his head, strip him and make him walk down the street while they were ringing the shame bell and yelling, shame, shame after him. They threw him off the stage, took the microphone from him and threw him off the stage. It's gotten that crazy. So I ask you, 866-408-7669, where does this go? Where do you see this going? And I, and I got a note from a listener, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember your first name, but it was a Twitter account, and I know the names aren't real on Twitter. But anyway, said, what would happen if the police just walk out for a week? Like, there's just a sick out. You know, you have the blue sick out, and they'll start calling in sick for a week. Minneapolis, you don't want the police? Great. We're not coming in for a week. Have at it. Go for it. See how you handle it. See what happens. Because what happens is these neighborhoods and these inner cities, when, when police pull back from policing, you saw it in Chicago, you saw it in Baltimore. When they pull back and they have fewer interactions with civilians, the, the homicide rate skyrockets. This is a Harvard study. So the homicide rate skyrockets. Where does it skyrocket? In these same neighborhoods where they're calling for defunding the police, you're less safe. And I don't know what we're going to, you know, replace it with maybe Marianne Williamson and her crystals. And she can just try to get the bad aura out. I, I have no idea. And there's more to this. We've got Bill de Blasio coming up, Governor Cuomo, Ilhan Omar, Muriel Bowser, all the usual suspects. 
in all these liberal cities, who, by the way, are now going to ask for money to repair their cities and the damage done by the protesters who were allowed to just do whatever they wanted for a couple of days and just destroy the city. 866-408-7669. Let's head to Eric in Orlando on News 96.5. Eric, you get to kick it off. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. It is a good My house is still intact. How are you doing this morning? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> That's all you can do. Right. Um, while you're on this topic, the first thing that came to my mind is just, well, you, you kind of like stole my thunder, but they're going to ask for money to rebuild. But one thing I want to know is, uh, well, two things I want to know. First, if they get rid of the police, who are they going to send to take my guns? Social worker? <laughs> and the other, and then, well, yeah, John Legend and a couple other celebrities are all on board with getting rid of the police department. I'd like to know John Legend's address because I could use a new big screen TV myself. So uh, your opinion. Well, these these first of all, Chrissy Teigen scares me way more than John Legend. That's number one. So if you sit Chrissy Teigen on me, I don't know. She's she's tough. But here's the thing. Those Hollywood elitists and the rest of them who are, are you know, hashtagging and, and going for defunding the police, the law, the rules don't apply to them because they all have private security. They live behind big walls like Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the politicians. They live in their gated communities. And because they're wealthy, they don't live by the same rules that the rest of us live by. They don't live by the same laws that we live by. So defunding the police doesn't really um, affect them. Just like the guns. You said, who's going to come and take my guns? What do all these big cities have in common? It's virtually impossible to get a gun in New York city. It's virtually impossible to get a gun in some of these other cities out in California. There were story. There was, there was story after story after story of these business owners who called nine one one and we're told, I'm and, and saying, they're looting my store. They're taking everything I have. They're just smashing the place. They're not just looting, but they're destroying everything that's here. They're holding me at gunpoint. You know, I need the cops. And they were told, sorry, but we're not going to be able to get there. But, you know, if, if, you, if you have a gun, you know, you, you can defend yourself. But they don't get guns in California because the process is so onerous and and so ridiculous that most people don't get them. They don't bother because they don't need a gun. They're so anti-gun. They're all for gun control until someone's holding a gun to your head and robbing you of everything you own. And suddenly that changes because you know what? You're not John Legend. You're not Nancy Pelosi. You're not rich enough to have your own security. You're not a Kardashian. And then suddenly it dawns on people, oh. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Uh, Pat in Las Vegas on KDWN. Pat, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You know, I think it is so ludicrous. I can't believe we're even having the debate. But I'm not surprised because as an African-American woman, I've been saying for years, I cannot believe what I am seeing in terms of what my community is doing um, in their reaction to police violence or any of the social issues and totally ignoring the number of African-Americans that are dying at the hands of their fellow African-Americans, that to me is an embarrassment and it should embarrass African-Americans all over the country. So how we can, there's no question about uh, how unjust what happened to George Floyd was. We, I think we all agree on mm-hmm. that. Yes, But we've been allowing people 
to get away with so many things. I've asked myself, is white America just so afraid of being accused of being racist that they look the other way when some of these ridiculous demands come out and nobody says anything? So we've gone from that to Black Lives Matter. And I used to say all the time, all lives matter. Now, I know if I was white, oh, my goodness, I'd hear all sorts of feedback from from people and and pushback. I don't get that as an African-American woman because most of the people we hear saying, at least this is the way it used to be before a month ago, uh, were young people. And I would say to them, stop, stop. You need to think about what it is you're saying. How do you expect people to respect the position you're taking if you will not agree that all lives matter? Of course, I'll tell you black lives matter, but I won't say it without reminding you that all lives matter. Those are the kinds of things that are happening and being discussed that we've just sort of looked the other way because nobody wants to have to argue with an angry, unruly crowd of young African-Americans. And I think that that's the mistake that we've made. And so now we're demanding that a mayor agree that he's going to defund the police. Are you kidding me? And do what? Black communities are the last ones that need no policing. Uh, It's just, you know, it it frustrates me that there aren't more African-Americans holding young African-Americans accountable for their actions. We can talk all day about social justice, and I would agree with what they're saying. I don't agree with the way a lot of them are going about it, and I don't agree with the fact that I think they are being used as political pawns and don't even realize it. Yeah, they don't. Pat, very quickly, because we're we're kind of up against the clock here, but just let me quickly ask you. I think, and I could be wrong here, but I think that the majority of the African-American community sees what's going on and feels exactly the way you do that. Wait a minute. we uh, th- There are so many people that hold the opinion that what happened to George Floyd was absolutely terribly horrible and a crime, but at the same time don't believe that the solution is, is looting someone's store, especially in these poor neighborhoods where African-American businesses are being looted. And we're not allowed to hold both those positions. So I think the majority of African-Americans feel the way you do. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. And I think they're, they're just as concerned with the, the uh, pushback that they get from the community that they keep those opinions to themselves. Yes. That's why the community was so shocked when, when uh, Donald Trump was elected, because we're not being honest about our opinions because we don't want to hear the pushback. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you so much for weighing in, Pat. Appreciate it. And enjoy Vegas. I mean, what a great place to live, Las Vegas. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, more of your calls coming up, 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no doubt in my mind that the average law enforcement officer in this nation is not a racist. There's also no doubt in my mind that when you look at the actual facts, black folks are two and a half times more likely to be shot by an officer than whites. Senator Tim Scott on Sunday morning futures. Look at that. Having a conversation based on facts. Uh, we have the defund the police movement that we've been talking about, and you see it growing across, across the country. AOC, in a congressional primary debate Friday night, said she has actively engaged in advocacy for a reduction of our NYPD budget and de- defunding a $6 billion NYPD budget that costs us books in the hands of our children, costs us very badly needed investment in New York City Housing Authority, and she went on and on. During a press briefing on Friday night, Mayor Bill de Blasio said, I do not believe it's a good idea to reduce the budget of the agency that's here to keep us safe. Well, here's what he had to say just yesterday. Based on the suggestions of the caucus, based on the work of the task force, that we will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services. The details will be worked out in the budget process in the weeks ahead. But I want people to understand that we are committed to shifting resources uh, to ensure that the focus is on our young people. And I also will affirm, while doing that, we will only do it in a way that we are certain continues to ensure that this city will be safe. I'm not quite sure how you're going to do that, Mr. Mayor. There are some people who are just hell-bent on destruction. You saw them the last week. Two week, what was it, two weekends ago? And this past week? People driving up in luxury SUVs and having people jump out with bags of burglary tools, breaking into these businesses, and then I guess making a phone call and then being picked up by their original ride. I mean, this was organized. There were people out there who were just waiting for you to defund the police department so they can continue doing what they want to do. This is leading to anarchy. And we have yet to see a politician except for one Donald Trump stand up to this and say, no, I am the law and order president. Uh, Mike in Tulsa listening on KRMG. Mike, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Um, I was, I mean, I would like to ask the ones that are out there on the street asking, um, to defund the police. Um, 
what are they going to do if they remove the police and the so-called, well, not so-called, but the racists that are out there, they decide to get together again and, and come out and do harmful things to whoever. I mean, I, I don't understand why. Are they not thinking this out? I mean, there needs to be No, they're not thinking it out. To answer your question, they truly aren't. Uh, It's a great question, but they're not. Uh, Just very quickly, just uh, cut three here. This is Andrew Cuomo shutting down the anti-police movement. I have to give credit where credit is due. Oh, we're not going to have time. Well, Andrew Cuomo said, um, you don't need police. You don't need police. That's what happens when you don't have effective policing, when he was pointing to the protesters. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And so we're not a country of just a president. We have a Congress. We have a Supreme Court. But most of all, we have the people of the United States the ones who vote, the ones who vote him in and the ones who vote him out. I couldn't vote for him in 96, and I certainly cannot in any way support President Trump this year. I assume you're going to be voting for Joe Biden? I'm very close to Joe Biden on a social matter and on a political matter. I've worked with him for 35, 40 years, and he is now the candidate, and I will be voting for him. That right there was Colin Powell, former Secretary of State under former President George W. Bush. That was on CNN, State of the Union, on his support for Joe Biden. Just think about this. January, economy was going gangbusters. February, economy going gangbusters. Uh, one of my a very good friend of mine uh, who who is a huge, just big lib. And um, I, I forgive her because she's... 88 years old. And she's just been this way her whole life. It's just always voted Democrat. And so she always she's going to vote Democrat till the day she dies. And at this point in the game, nothing's going to change her mind. So great. So we agree to disagree. And we don't really talk politics much. She was saying to me in January and February, I can't believe he's going to win. I can't believe four more years. We're going to have four more years of Trump. Can't believe he's going to win. Now, the president, his poll number is not doing real good. You see, you see, and, and I know we've all learned after the last election to not trust the polls, but it's different this time. President Trump is the establishment. He, in the sense that he's the incumbent. Foxnews.com has an opinion piece by Aaron Mishkin, and it says, one crisis too many, will the riots be Trump's undoing? And that's what I want to ask you. 866-408-7669. Are these tr- riots going to be Trump's undoing? They tried to crash the economy with covid and, and these Democrat cities and states that stayed locked down far longer than they had to. And it was the, the Republican states that and cities that you saw open up that gave us unemployment numbers that went the opposite direction of where everyone thought they were going to go, much to, I'm sure, the Democrats' chagrin, because they know they can't beat them on the economy, right? And then, so they saw a glimmer of hope with COVID that we're going to crash the economy. It's going to be the worst unemployment since the Great Depression, right? And they're, they're kind of like, all we have to do is ride this pony through November, open everything up, and then Biden looks like a hero. And that's not what happened because of the Republican cities and states that opened up. Then you get the rioting, right? You have the rioting. And president, no one is looking at the, the focus. And, and Aaron Mishkin puts this in this piece. 
The focus is not on the devastation this time around. The focus is not on the destruction. The focus is not on these 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 uh, small business owners of all shapes, sizes, and colors. A lot of them, minorities in these inner cities. It's not on them. This is all about the protesters and the value of what they have to say. We're we're saying Black Lives Matter, and not just Black Lives Matter, but so far as to all defund the police. They're getting they're getting politicians to say we'll defund the police. They have police and National Guard kneeling down in front of them while they hover over them, taking pictures. They can compel speech from these politicians and from law enforcement. They can tell you how to stand and they can tell you what your policy is. And people are falling over themselves to to give in to the brain crowds. You know, they're out there screaming for Barabbas and Punches Pods like, OK, here you go. That's what's happening. And he says here, Aaron says here, Arnon, excuse me, says in his piece, while polls suggested that the public trusted likely Democratic nominee Joe Biden, which now he is the nominee, as better than Trump at dealing with the health crisis. They continue to trust the president more on handling the economy. But in a matter of days, President Trump, whose political superpower has been his ability to manage through chaos, because his whole presidency has been chaos, appears unable to orchestrate a simple photo op and is besieged by indirect but clear sniping from the only living Republican ex-president. That's not new, though. A direct criticism from his first defense secretary and polls suggesting he's disadvantaged in the GOP must-win states of Florida, Texas, and Ohio. He's also underwater in Arizona. And and I, I think Arnon is kind of right here. The president doesn't seem to be handling this with the same brilliance that he handles everything else. That photo op, I cringed. I'm sorry. In front of St. John's, I cringed at that. I would have I would have liked it if he hadn't shown up there with the Bible and stood there holding it. Walking over there would have been great, but it was ill-timed with, you know, Bill Barr clearing out the protesters, which he had decided to do long before, you know, hours before President Trump said he was going over there. The people in that meeting didn't know they were going over there. So it was miscommunication. And President Trump didn't know that they were, you know, clearing out the protesters at the same time. So it was one of those mistakes that you, do, I think, a mistake that you don't see the president usually make. So do you think that this is just one crisis too many and the riots will be President Trump's undoing? We're going to see this for a long time. He's having a um, a summit. He's not having a beer summit like President Obama, but he's having a summit with police officers, with Capitol Police, who so many of those Capitol Police were were injured in the the melee and the rioting, and there's over 60 Capitol Police officers who were injured in that. No one's focusing on any of that, which in the past has been the focus in these riots in, in 92, back in the 60s. Um, you know, it was always about the destruction and everybody kind of agreed that um, what was happening was wrong. Not so much this time around. It's different this time. Does that bode uh, ill for President Trump? He's being seen as he can't keep order and law law and order. He's seen the law, law and order president. You know, that's what he's going to be. Doesn't seem to be resonating. He's not getting a lot of traction with it. 866-408-7669. Let's go to Oklahoma City. Uh, Rodney, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing just great. So is this going to be, is this going to be President Trump's Waterloo? Um, You know what? Um, this is this is President Trump's worse than Waterloo, worse than 
worse than all of it combined together. You know, um, I don't. Um, but I didn't. I didn't um, call to um, talk about President Trump. Um, okay. I just want. I just wanted to say that um, I'm not. I know all lives matter, and um, I don't. I don't want us to get stuck or get misdirected from you know with the black lives, white lives. What all lives matter. We all know this. We all know this, and the majority of Americans, I think, feel the same way that we know this. But I just don't want to miss the mark here. And I think uh, um, a lot of us. Um, African Americans are missing the mark because this is the thing. It's it's systematic, and we just this is what we need to be concentrating on the systematic um, things that plague this country with the um, police force. Um, some people would have never had the experience. Me as a me as a black man, I've had I've I've had these experiences where you know um, police officers are, are, of different races tell you. To not even look at them. I'm 47 years old, and I've had police officers to tell me they don't like the way I look at them. So unless you've had these instances mm-hmm. where you've been affected by them, you know this this that's not the argument right now about lives mattering. That's 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 not the argument. I I, I told you I I I think everybody lives matter. Whites, blacks, Asians. I hope everybody matters. All lives matter, but that is not the argument. And I think we keep missing the mark. And um, it's it's so systematic that um, I I I have really really low confidence in our um system right now. And it's um it's it's just really frustrating. And um, mm-hmm. I, um I appreciate I appreciate these platforms um that we can um you know uh get this get these things out because we we do need to get them out but um yeah. i don't i don't i just don't want us to keep missing the mark yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. You're right. Uh, I, I can't understand what your experience with the police has been. You're a hundred percent right. Totally agree with that. But and I and I also agree when, when you know when you sit there and you say all lives matter. I I think every life is valuable. But as a white woman, I'm not allowed to say that. If I say that and I don't kowtow to the mob, I'll I'll be driven out. I'm I'm done. I'm just driven out. So so we I think we have to address that as well. I like a conversation on this. I think we need a conversation on this. But I think it has to be fact based, not emotion driven. And we're not allowed to really have a discussion about the facts because the people who are leading the conversation have an agenda. And I think that they're using this not to not to the aim for which you and I want. I think they're using it for their own goals. And that is ultimate anarchy and defunding the police totally. That's what their goal is. And remember, when it comes to policing, it's done on a local level. The president doesn't have any control over how the police police in Oklahoma City or Las Vegas or Minneapolis. Each police department has its own standards of engagement, and that's set on a local level. So for President Trump to take the blame on this, he has no say in it. And if he tried, they would call him a dictator. So he he's his hands are tied on this one. He is not culpable in 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 that at all as far as that goes. But I'm with you 100% Rodney. I think we need to have a conversation, but we need to look at the facts, not the lies that we are being told over and over and over again. We need to look at the facts. And I I would love to we have that conversation here, which I'm very grateful for and I'm thankful for your call and your opinion. Thank you so much. Just it, 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 we talked about this. We talked about kids. 
You can have a conversation with your kids about race. You should have a conversation with your kids about race when they're ready, when it's age appropriate and, and, and in an age appropriate way, but also with the facts. Because a lot of the stuff I think they bring home from school is, is biased and doesn't contain the facts, which are a little inconvenient for some people. Let's head to Connecticut. Uh, Cliff, good morning. Oh, you know what, Cliff? Hang on. I want to give you more time. I'd have to cut you short. So hold on, Cliff. Hold on, and I'll come back to you right away. I promise you'll be up first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669. We're talking about whether the riots are going to be Trump's Waterloo. Are they going to hurt President Trump? Are people going to say, you know what? I'm 80, new poll, 80% of Americans feel that the country's out of control. 80% of Americans feel the country's out of control. They look to Trump as the guy who's supposed to have the country in control. Even though he has told these governors and these mayors, you handle it on your state levels when it comes to COVID, when it comes to the, the, the riots, you didn't, I offered to send in the troops. You didn't want them. I offered to help you with COVID. You didn't want it. You wanted to do it yourself. But yet he's the one who's going to be held accountable, I think, unless he swings this around and he had that awkward photo op. I think he's got some damage control to do. Let's go to Cliff in Connecticut. Cliff, thanks for hanging on. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call to get right to the point. Listen, in terms of what you're saying, in terms of facts, even with the police department and its handling of minority issues, one thing I keep bringing up this question, I really can't get an answer, is in reference to police shootings and police killings, we just can't, I can't find the numbers of black police officers killing and shooting white criminals or white people. I Uh just, I just can't find the numbers. And so if you're going to deal with facts and make comparisons or equal comparisons, you have to raise that issue and bring that issue up. And so with that being said, that's where the racism comes into play. And, and, and also let me end with this, though, Mary, um, in terms of now this word being used, um, give me your definition of racism. And then my question is, can a black person, in your view, or Republicans or, or white people, can a black person be racist? And how are they racist if they can be? Well, okay, so my big thing is I was raised to people, I was raised to judge people based on how well, whatever it is, how well they can do the job. If I'm if I'm interviewing, I don't care what color they are. I don't care if it's male or female. I was raised to judge a person based by the person, based if you're a good person. That's it. That's all that matters to me is the inside. Are you a good person? I, I truly don't care about the package you come in. That's me. I don't can't speak for I'm not going to speak for all. I'm, first of all, I'm not a registered Republican. That's the first thing. Um, uh, so I mean, I'm not going to speak for any entire quote unquote group of people. I, I'm a big fan of not labeling people. We label everybody and everybody gets put in a bucket. And, and we judge all people based on that bucket. Everybody in that bucket must be the same, kind of like a basket of deplorables. You know, all cops are bad based on the actions of Derek Chavan, right? Chevette. All, all blacks are terrible. I mean, excuse me, all cops are, are racist based on his actions. No, I think what happened to, to George Floyd, I couldn't even watch the whole video. I, I, I couldn't. 
And I think what happened from what I saw now, I'm not on the jury, but from what I saw based on that, I didn't want to watch a man be murdered in front of me. It was awful. It was terrible. It was wrong. And it needs to be righted. But I'm certainly not going to speak for an entire bucket of people. And I resent being put in a bucket of people. So as far as I'm concerned, I just judge people, like I said, based on who you are. I don't care if you have the same religion, skin color, gender, anything like that. You're a good person. I welcome you. Let's go to Bobby in Orlando on News 96.5. Hey, Bobby. Uh, Good morning, young lady. Uh, My name is Bobby, and I am 85 years old. Ah, good for you. And I would like to say this. The last caller, I don't know how many white people he has ever spoken to, because he seems someplace in the weeds about the white and black things. And I'm going to go through this real quick. I have it all down. I am a blind man. I have a black aide that comes in, and we have conversations all the time about race. Are you interested? Very quickly, we, it's only, it, you know, we don't have a lot of time, so. Okay, and, and yes, I think the riots will hurt uh, Trump o- overall, but not that much. The black person I'm talking about, we talk to each other, and I, we discuss the race relations, okay? And I am lucky to be able to talk to a black person in, in person right here in my own house. And I said to her one day, uh, I grew up white, and I didn't even know it. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I grew up white. I didn't know I was white. You grew up black, and you knew you were black, right? And you know what I mean, because she was attacked all the time. Am I right or wrong on that? Well, I, I don't know. She, you're the one who spoke with her, so you, you know her, you know her, uh, her story, uh, whereas I don't. So just very quickly make one more point for me, and then we get to run. Okay. Uh, uh, Malicious. You're going to see the rise of malicious in this country to uh, protect our businesses and neighborhoods. You're going to find affluent neighborhoods will have p- private police forces like in L.A. and Minneapolis. Yes. I just spoke to a person in Minneapolis the uh, day before yesterday. Okay, And they moved out because they have a problem with Jews can't get a ride in a taxi cab. Wow. Okay. But listen, Bobby, thank you so much. I appreciate writing everything down. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, To the last caller who was saying, you know, how many, uh, how many uh, black officers shoot white suspects? Uh, This is an NPR. So he said he couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, NPR uh, cites a Michigan State University study. Um, and of, of fatal shootings in 2015, and they added in the race of police. They did a statistical analysis, and they found that the race of a police officer did not predict the race of the citizen shot. In other words, black officers were just as likely to shoot black citizens as white officers were. So, and we know that more unarmed white Americans are shot by police than unarmed black Americans shot by police. So I found it super easy. It's right there, NPR. Um, so I just thought I'd share that with you. Uh, where are we? Okay, very quickly. Uh, Robert in Orlando. Good morning. Uh, well, that just was. No, this is Robert. Oh, you know what, Robert? We're, uh, we're actually running out of time. I'm so sorry, Robert. Uh, I'm not going to have time to take your call. I apologize for that there. I'd have to cut you short in like 20 seconds. So uh, I apologize for that. So it's going to be interesting to see if the president is hurt by these riots. You can find that piece that I was talking about by Arnon Mishkin on foxnews.com. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. Yes, Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to kick it off. Are you ready? With Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist and Fox News contributor. You can find him on Twitter at mgoodwin uh, underscore ny post. Mike, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Michael Goodwin, it's great to have you. Thank you, Mary. My pleasure. So what is going on at the New York Times? So the New York Times, um, they, pu- they, they published, um, they, they published a, an editorial by uh, Tom Cotton, right? So they published this editorial by Tom Cotton. And then uh, they, the, there's all this hue and cry from the safetyists, the 20-somethings, at the Times. And so then they say they defended it at first. The, uh, the editor, uh, who is now no longer the editor, uh, the editorial page editor, James Bennett, he defended it. And he had t- he's the one who titled the piece Send in the Troops. He defended it. Then you have them calling out sick because they can't go to work because just the publishing that endangers their black colleagues, their black employees. It endangers their safety at the New York Times. And then all of a sudden he resigns. They suggested he resigns. So now he's out of a job, James Bennett out of a job. And I guess it's the assistant editor uh, is has been, quote unquote, reassigned. He probably went to an ed, uh, re-education camp somewhere (laughs) that they have um as what the heck is happening it's the mob rule yeah i i described it uh as a hostile takeover and it's hostile because the newsroom uh which is supposed to be writing straight news stories um it rises up and demands to control what appears on the editorial or the opinion pages. Now, at the Times, these were separate divisions. I mean, they, the Times always referred to them as church and state, and it's a rather self, self-obsessed view of it, but it did reflect when I was there and, and for many, many years before and after me, there, there was this strict separation. You have different editors, different pages, and and the twain shall never meet. Uh, but that has changed now that the newsroom has become so opinionated uh, that now that now the newsroom thinks that uh, it has the right to determine what goes on the editorial page. And what it shows you is not that they are opposed to opinion. They are opposed to any opinion they don't agree with. And that's what happened here. Now, I should say, Mary, that Historically, the op-ed page where this appeared uh, was designed by the Times in the 1970s to reflect mostly opinions that were uh, at cross-purposes with the paper's own opinions. So the whole purpose of an op-ed page was to present the other side of issues, which is exactly what they did in this case with Tom Cotton. The Times uh, mostly hates the military doesn't much like police either so when you when you print a tom cotton piece saying that president trump was right to suggest using the military 
to quell the riots, uh, that is explicitly what the op-ed page was designed to do. And Cotton was the perfect person to write that piece. The Times solicited it from Cotton because, as I say in my column, uh, he was a decorated infantry leader, uh, officer, in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He serves on the Senate Armed Services Committee. That is a classic case of credibility. This is the person to make the argument. You don't have to agree with the argument, but was the point of an op-ed page is to present both sides of an opinion, both sides of a situation. And so for the newsroom to rise up against this means they are hostile to traditional journalism, which we knew, by and large, by their one-sided view of Donald Trump and page after page. But now we see it extends beyond Trump. It is to everything that is, uh, that is different from how they view the world. I mean, and this was not just the 20-somethings. This was 800 people in a newsroom, which, as I understand the, the numbers, that's somewhere north of 70 or 75 percent of the total. So this was a true uprising. It is hostile to traditional journalism. And as you said, Bennett resigned. I don't believe he resigned. I believe he was fired for publishing this piece. Yeah. And here is Senator Tom Cotton on Fox and Friends talking uh, about, you know, they they came to him and asked him to write this this piece, I guess, trying to get different views in The New York Times. Well, it says don't expect to see both sides of the story in the New York Times. And in fact, they said last week that they were going to reduce the number of opinion pieces they run. So I will say in advance to the world, you're welcome for reducing the amount of left wing nonsense that you have to read in the New York Times editorial pages. And just look at the woman they appointed on an acting basis to take over that page. She is a far left radical who will throw in with, not stand up to, the woke mob of children at the New York Times who get triggered anytime they hear a conservative opinion. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. What would have happened, do you think, in the New York Times uh, newsroom uh, in 1941 when they published an op-ed by Hitler? Yeah, yeah. And look, not so long ago, they they published a piece from the Taliban. The Taliban. Well, they probably Uh, agree with that. That was okay. No, they were fine with that. They were fine with Vladimir Putin. I mean, the same people who couldn't stand Tom Cotton and his piece, they were fine with the Taliban. This was just months ago. They were fine with Putin. They're fine with Erdogan, the strongman of Turkey, who has jailed more journalists than any person, uh, any uh, government leader around the world. Uh, That's all fine with the New York Times staff. They, They didn't bat an eye. So it really shows you where their prejudices are and where their head is. I mean, they are not really concerned about human rights or civil rights or even a free press. They're only concerned with their own views. And their views are, I'm not safe. They they clutch the pearls when they hear a view, domestic view, that doesn't comport with their prejudice. I mean, that is, and the New York Times has caved into that. It has surrendered to that. And by by, uh, embracing the critics of the piece, the publisher of the Times, uh, Arthur Greg Salzberger, uh, a scion of the family, didn't really earn the job, just was handed to him by virtue of his birthright, uh, 
He now is as woke as the mob in the newsroom by, I believe, firing Bennett and saying that the piece should not have been published. I mean, this is really a a very low moment in the history of the New York Times. and, And unfortunately, it's a low moment for journalism, too, because all other newspapers will now, or most, will follow the New York Times. I mean, they're like lemmings. They'll go, they'll all jump over the cliff too. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. There, you're going to see the the end of it. I and I I noticed. I said to my husband, he's like, since when did you start to get the New York Times? I'm like, I don't get the New York Times. So I don't have a delivery. They've been leaving free New York, New York Times for about three weeks now in our driveway, trying to get hmm. us to subscribe. I guess. Yeah. yeah and and an so that tells had, me some. I wouldn't realize I had done that. Yeah, so so that tells me that they're they're giving away the store for free, or they're trying to get someone to you know more people to subscribe to. Yeah. It. Um. So so let me ask you, how did they get there at the New York Times? Because I I had seen a piece written by someone oh, I can't remember her name at the New uh, as a contributor to the New York Times or something, but she said that the over forty crowd is liberal, and then the under forty crowd, the thirties and the twenties and thirties that are in there are what she called safetyists. That if anything yeah. makes them feel unsafe or hurts their feelings that makes them feel unsafe when their feelings are hurt and and so they're the ones now who are crying the loudest and they're the quote-unquote progressives and the liberals the over 40 crowd doesn't know what to do doesn't know how to deal with them they thought that they were all on the same team and now they're finding out they're not and they're not quite sure how to handle it and so they're doing what they did with their children they're just giving in to them yeah, I think it's Barry Weiss. Uh, yes, yes, it was. About. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and and she's there. She's an opinion writer and and on the editorial or on the on the board that edits the uh, the op-ed pieces. Uh, look, I, I, I've heard uh, something similar, but I've heard an, a twist on that, which is that. Uh, the Times has really remade itself in the sense that it forced out most of the older people. Um, and apart from age, there's just a, a matter of experience. And that this person I spoke to yesterday told me that probably no more than 10 or 15 percent of the staff there has been there 20 years. Now, that sounds like an odd way to look at it, but what what it really tells you is about institutional memory. And you have people who grew up with traditional values of journalism. I mean, the Times was always left-leaning uh, and has been for many years. I mean, the last Republican it endorsed was uh, Dwight Eisenhower, so 1956. So that's a long time wow. ago. Uh, you, you put a dead raccoon on the under the D line, Democrat, and they'll endorse it. Uh, but, but the Times, I think... It, had its traditions of fair and impartial journalism. I mean, they were they were created in the paper in 1896 when a mem- when the patriarch of the Salzburger family bought the controlling interest of the Times, and and they more or less continued until now. And I think that the people who have been there the longest would re- would remember all that would would think that's how you do journalism is you have both sides, but. The young people who grew up in a different idea, with a different idea of what journalism is, it's you getting to say what you want, 
uh, and you try to remake the world, you, you don't have to restrain yourself. You don't have to pretend to be fair. You, you can just say whatever you want. So every story becomes an opinion. And that's what has happened under the current editor, Dean Baquet. And now that mentality has led those people to think, well, we should control the opinion pages, too, so that they match yeah. what we believe. And that's what's happened here. And as I say, sadly, the publisher has surrendered to this mob. And it, it is it is a dark day for journalism. Yeah. L- L- I just want to quickly, before we have to say goodbye, ask you about um, Mayor de Blasio's admission now. He he switched from Friday saying that he's not for defunding the police to yesterday saying that he is going to take a portion, he doesn't say how much, of the police budget and move it to um, re, re, um, realign it with youth programs. But he doesn't say, doesn't state any programs that he's going to realign it with. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, is, is he again just, just bowing to the braying mob here? That's certainly part of it. Um, uh, He may have uh, had a more practical uh, reason also, which is that uh, the city council uh, has already given notice that it wants to move in that direction. And and they probably had a veto-proof majority. It's It's a one one uh, level council it's not bicameral there's only only the one city council so uh, with uh, 51 members and they say they had a veto proof majority supporting the move to cut the police budget so he may have tried to get out in front of the parade before it marched mm-hmm. by him uh, but nonetheless you were right it is a flip-flop uh, it is completely different from what he said on Friday we don't know yet how much money he's talking about. Um, if, it's, if it's trimming, I think all city budgets are going to need to be trimmed because the city's economy has been wrecked by the coronavirus and the shutdown. So uh, there's, there's going to have to be a trim everywhere. The question is, do you try to really defund the police in major ways, the way that many on the left want, or do you sensibly trim here and there? I mean, I know that the city's got an enormous overtime budget for the police, something on the order of $800 million a year, just in overtime. So there are clearly savings to be had there, but is it to try to fundamentally rein in the police so they don't enforce the law? Uh, That would be an absolute disaster, and I wouldn't put it past the block. If he thinks that's the political way to go, I mean, he's soulless about this stuff. He yeah, will not he, stand for anything if it's unpopular. Yeah. Um, and just, just to your point, we've got to go here, but Andrew Cuomo did shut down and said, um, you, now you, um, I'm telling you, you don't need police. You don't need police. This is what happens when you don't have effective policing. And that was the last thing he said on it, unless I missed something that uh, Andrew Cuomo, though, has said, you know, kind of poked a hole in the balloon of, you know, let's, let's defund the the police. Michael Goodwin, it's always great when you stop by to visit. I loved getting to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Mary. You have a fantastic day. All right. Your call's coming up. 866-408-7669. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
That's Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade, 866-408-7669. We were talking about defunding the police. And okay, so, all right, all right, I'm with you. We can have a conversation about this. So when my car is broken into, who am I calling? What's going to happen there? If I hear glass breaking in my home and I'm upstairs asleep, do I pick up the phone and call anybody? Do I just, you know, make make them cookies, maybe find you know, maybe a nice drink, some coffee, welcome them into my home? How, how do we handle this going forward? Uh, Mark in Indiana. Mark, good morning. Hey, good morning. So what what do you think? How do, how do we handle this? What about defunding the police? What do you think about this? No, I've just... Um... It's the wrong way to go. I understand the emotional response because people are angry at police in general, but it's not the way you want to go. If you do this, you're opening the doors for all kinds of not only criminal activity, but also other groups that have been wanting to move into these cities to try to take control and try to establish like Sharia law and stuff like that, because that's what I'm afraid for, for New York City and also for Minneapolis. Because if you take the police completely away, there's nobody there. And the criminals just go crazy. Now, it'll take about six months before they'll really understand that all of a sudden everything's wide open. But I think as a nation, this is not the way to go. I understand voices want to be heard, and I want them to be heard. Peaceful protesting, things like that, so that we can get legislation and get reforms in. Yes, but not this. This is going way too far, because then you would have to come in with draconian policies afterwards to try to get control back after you've given it away. Now, I learned a lot of this. I was with the Department of Justice, and we had to, especially in the Bureau of Prisons, we had to study these disruptive groups and what their intent was, especially learning a lot about Islam and Sharia. Mm -hmm. And when you start seeing this, it would be horrible for women in these places if it got a hold. And we don't, I don't want to see that. We've made such great strides to the point where we're right on the edge that everybody's saying yes together to where we can have good fundamental dialogue and defunding our police is not the way to go. Yeah, no. Although I have to say, and thank you so much, Mark, and thank you for serving. Appreciate that. I, I have to say, though, there's a small part of me kind of would like to see with these these uh, liberal areas, these liberal cities and states, because they're so much smarter than the rest of us. So go ahead. You want to defund it? Go for it. I'm just going to sit back here and watch. I'm going to make some popcorn, and we're going to see how this all plays out. But I feel sorry for the law-abiding citizens who don't want the police defended, who are the silent majority. I don't want to see them hurt. Got more coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. 
I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears, thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better and that we are all part of the solution. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Did you hear it? Did you hear that racism right there? Did you hear that? That was uh, Drew Brees, New Orleans Saints quarterback. This happened now. Here's the time. That happened on Tuesday. I had a very long week last week. The Breezes had a very long week. That was Tuesday. Uh, and and Drew Brees was in it. It was a Yahoo. I want to say it was a Yahoo Finance interview that he was giving. And of course, they ask him about that, which I don't know what the heck that has to do with Yahoo Finance, but whatever. And instead of just saying, you know, dancing around it, he gave that response, which I guess because of my white privilege, I thought was a fine response. He said, this is how I feel. This is how I view it. He didn't say everyone should view it that way. He said, this is my opinion and how I view this. Well, his teammates came after him. Uh, his teammate, Michael Thomas, wrote on Twitter, he don't know no better. We don't care if you don't agree. And whoever else, how about that? Uh, other super other um, athletes, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, uh, LeBron James, Richard Sherman from the San Francisco 49ers, Doug Baldwin, former Seahaw- Seahawks uh, wide receiver and others, come out and attack Drew Brees. He is just lambasted. So on Wednesday, Drew Brees apologizes. And in his apology, um, he, he says that, uh, you know, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I realized I was wrong. So he apologizes. Well, then on Thursday morning, so he, he sends out this apology on Wednesday. Thursday, Herschel Walker comes out and he defends uh, he def- he defends Drew Brees and what Br- Drew Brees had to say there. He defends what you know his uh, his a right to have his opinion. And here's what he says: uh, He says that uh, you know just because he doesn't believe in what you believe in, why is people upset about that? Th- that is what's great with America. We have a right to choose, and if that's the way he feels, it's okay that he feels like that. And he went on to argue that the reaction to Breeze's comments were representative of a broader broader problem with what would be called cancel culture. He didn't call it cancel culture. He said, why in the world can people not have an opinion today that they disagree with you? And if you disagree with someone, you're going to be called a racist. If I disagree with someone, I'm going to be called an Uncle Tom. 
and that was Herschel Walker there uh, saying, saying the, you know, that he has the right to his opinion. So um, he gives the interview, excuse me, on Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. with Yahoo Finance. By 1 p.m., his teammates and all these other athletes start calling him out. Wednesday evening, uh, uh, let's see, no, that, so then Thursday, excuse me, Thursday in the morning, he issues his apologies, all right, and the apologies was accepted by some of his teammates, but others questioned how sincere it was, because much of the language seemed to them to stem from the idea that his words were misconstrued, not that he admitted that he had actually done anything wrong with what he said there, which I didn't hear anything wrong in that, but I'm sure that's because of my white privilege. Then on Thursday at 8 o'clock at night, he issues a second apology on Instagram. So he apologizes again. He speaks directly to the camera and he says, I'm sorry, I will do better. I will be part of the solution. I am your ally. I know no words will do that justice. That's just going to have to be action. So then, so he apologizes. Then Friday... The president jumps in here and he says that Drew Brees shouldn't have apologized. He tweets, I'm a big fan of Drew Brees. I think he's truly one of the greatest quarterbacks, but he should not have taken back his original stance on honoring our magnificent American flag. Old glory is to be revered, cherished, and flown high. We should be standing up straight and tall, ideally with a salute or a hand on heart. There are other things you can protest, but not our great American flag. No kneeling. Friday at 1010, Drew Brees responds to President Trump, um, and he says, uh, through ongoing conversations with friends, teammates, and leaders in the black community, I realize this is not an issue about the American flag. It never has been. We can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issues that face our black community. Then Roger Goodell jumps in. Nobody asked him, but he just jumped in anyway. And here's what Roger Goodell had to say, because up until this point, the NFL was siding with um, players standing, not kneeling for the national anthem. So Roger Goodell jumps in because the water's not muddy enough. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe Black Lives Matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much-needed change in this country. Without Black players, there would be no National Football League. And the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and oppression of Black players, coaches, fans and staff. All right. So that's Roger Goodell backtrack. It's now you're going to see all the players kneeling. That's going to, that's, there we go. And then we end it with Drew Brees wife's Brittany, who will now go through life as Brittany Brees. Uh, and the first sentence says, we are the problem. I write this with tears in my eyes and I hope you all hear our hearts. And she shares two quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and you know, she's realized after reading these and, and, and praying on it that somehow we as white America, we can feel good about not being racist, feel good about loving one another as God loves us. We can feel good about educating our children and about her and she goes through all these um, black uh, heroes throughout history. And we feel like we're doing our part to raise our children to be unbiased and with no prejudice. Um, somehow, we as white Americans, we feel that that checks the box of doing the right thing. Not until this week did Drew and I realize that this 
is the problem. To say, I don't agree with disrespecting the flag, I now understand was also saying, I don't understand what the problem really is. There you go. And I, I, I have a hunch that because of the cancel culture and because of the swift backlash that Drew Brees had to don the sackcloth, put the ashes all over him, shave his head and have someone, you know, have Brittany follow him through the streets, ringing the shame bell, you know, yelling shame, 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 throwing things at him. Um, that had to be done in order for him to have any kind of semblance of a career. All he did was voice his opinion. Why can't he have his opinion? You can disagree with it. You can think it's wrong. But to strip someone of their First Amendment rights, which is what we're doing now, the First Amendment now has an asterisk after it. And Drew Brees just fell prey to that. 866-408-7669 in Orlando. Roberto, good morning. Good morning, Mary. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So the whole Drew Brees thing, which to me was just insane. What's your take on it? Well, I've got two takes, Mary, if you just give me one second. The first one is, you know, we're a multicultural, multiracial, almost multilingual nation. Um, the one thing that can unite us in what seems to be under attack by the left and the communist and the socialist is the flag. Mm-hmm. Um, you might take a picture of Americans standing together, and they look like they might not even be from the same planet at times. But guess what? That flag will unite us. And it's under yes. attack for what reason other than to divide us? Um, my main concern and the second point is I draw as a Hispanic American or American Hispanic um, parallels to the Cuban Revolution, silencing, Workers' Party, free this, free insurance, so on and so forth, free education, racial equality. Guess what? In Cuba, what happened? Everybody's equally, equally miserable now. And um, these people are not hiding anymore. They're in plain sight. Um, the grievance of the BLM, the majority of the time is, well, the chess pieces were set up already when the black people and minorities got to play. I don't believe that. I come from a father that had a drug problem. Um, I got a GED. I opened a business. My two girls are in college right now. My boy will go to college because they're raised right. They're raised to respect where they come from and understand the, the value of hard work and dedication in society today. And that's not happening. We're being usurped by communists. You can't even speak your mind anymore. I can't have a dissenting opinion. What if I go online and I say what I'm saying now? I'll be called an Uncle Tom because I'm dark-skinned, or I'll be called a sellout because I'm not towing the line? I don't think so. I think America needs to wake up and realize we are under attack by communists and socialists. Wake up, America. Do you want to be like Cuba, or do you want to be like the CCCP, former Soviet Union? Do you want to be like Venezuela? Do you want to start eating your pets and wipe your butt with your hands? Let's think about that. Let's really think about it. You want to have an equality of, of poor, or do you want to have the chance to have, be in America and live and work hard and dedicate yourself and have a chance to actually be affluent and prosperous in life? You know, very well said, and thank you. And I, I know your kids grow up knowing that, and thank you for sharing that. But unfortunately, our children have been made, they, they have been purposely made ignorant of this country's history. 
That's what this is about. And my, I know people who absolutely, you know, are all about this and, uh, but it was, this is going to be free and that's going to be free. And, and they, it could, because they're ignorant and they don't, they don't understand history. And unfortunately they think it'll be different here. It's going to be different. It's not going to be the same. It's like democratic socialism. It's going to be democratic socialism. I'm like, okay, what's democratic socialism? And well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you, look it up. They, Cause they don't know and they don't want to admit their own ignorance, but they are. And unfortunately the, ignorant ones are the loudest ones right now. Watch the movie Idiocracy. You see it happening. All right, more of your calls coming up. I want to get it. A lot of people want to get in here, want to get you in. 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I know there's not much that I can say that would make things any better right now. But I just want you to see in my eyes how sorry I am for the comments that I made yesterday. I know that it hurt many people. I wish I would have laid out what was on my heart in regards to the George Floyd murder, Ahmaud Arbery, the years and years of social injustice, police brutality, and the need for so much reform and change to bring equality to our black communities. I am sorry. And I will do better. And I will be part of the solution. And I am your ally. That was Drew Brees. Uh, I think that was his first apology. I don't know, it was the first or second. It could have been the fourth. I'm not quite sure. But he kept doing it till he uh, got it right. And the crowd said, yes, you, you, good job. Uh, you said what we needed you to say. And he moved on. Um, the fact that we're living in a time where someone can't say, this is what the flag means to me. This is what I see. I see my grandfathers, you know, after having served in the war, coming back and seeing that flag and standing as a symbol for their country they love. This is what it means to me. His opinion is invalid because that's not what it means to the most vocal, the the minority. I think it's a minority. I think most people, and we had a wonderful caller, Roberto, who said, you know, the one thing that unites us as Americans is that flag. I mean, heck, we don't even have a a language that unites us anymore, because if you don't speak Spanish, you can't understand people anymore. You know, and and that that I think is a problem. I think we need a language to unite us. and And I do agree. I think that flag really does unite us that no matter what, no matter where you came from, whether you've been here for generations, or you're a new American, that's the one thing that unites us is that flag and our language. Those should be the two things. But to be able to say that out loud, gets you canceled by the left. When I say canceled, they will destroy you. They will find out where you work. They will protest. And they know that um, it's easier for companies to just cut you loose than to stand up for what's right. And that's really sad. 866-408-7669. Robin in Hunter, New York on WIBX. Robin, good morning. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, thank you. Good morning to you, too. And I'm in Clinton, New York. Like oh, our former president. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, yes. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm calling just regarding Drew Brees' original statement, not his apology so much. Because yes. um, when I heard his original statement, I'm like, that's me. My father fought in World War II as a young Marine. 
um, was awarded the Purple Heart. He finished his military career in the Army, serving in both Korea and Vietnam, being awarded a Bronze Star in Vietnam. Um, and just the respect for the flag was central in my upbringing. Um, and later in his life, he started to walk for exercise. And some people down the road, they were like, who's that man? And when he walks, he stops and salutes every flag in someone's yard. I'm like, oh, that's that's my dad. You know, as he listened to his um, John Sousa marches on his Walkman. Um, and even once my sister gave him a polo golf type shirt that had like little flags on it. And he's like, I can't wear that because that was against flag etiquette. If anyone has ever read flag etiquette, yes. there's certain <laughs> ways it's to be worn and not worn. Um, and, you know, so just the respect for the flag was central most in my upbringing. So when Drew Brees originally said that, I'm like, hey, that's, he's like me. You know, that's how he was brought up for it. I will not apologize for my feelings on it. Yeah. And here's the thing, though, is what the difference is between in the short span of time. You know, we go from venerating our, our veterans and, and you know, we, we salute them and we learned the lessons of, of the Vietnam War that we don't treat our veterans like that anymore. But yet at the same time, if you say that, you know, they they will be put down, I mean, not to their faces, but we put down Drew Brees uh, or someone like your father, it'd be they're going to be he's going to be dismissed as well. He's just old. He's a boomer. He's old. And and there's no well, respect my- for that anymore at all. There's no respect for elders, period, regardless of who they are. The 20-somethings don't respect the 40-somethings, and the 30- and 40-somethings look like, hey, boomer, and they're just totally mocked and shunned and put away and not listened to. And that has, that's, that's been a problem. I, I think it's a problem. Uh, Robin, got to run. Don't mean to be rude to you, but thank you for sharing that and your opinion. Very quickly, Joe on Long Island. Joe, Pete left me like a minute for you. He's jealous. That's why. Well, I appreciate that. You, you're absolutely brilliant, Mary. I mean, really. And I thought his Drewby's uh, statement it was touching and from the heart. But what happens is they, he was probably threatened on social media. The kids tell me they have a doxing. They find out where you are. They probably scared him, his family, his wife. And this is communism 101. Yep. Yeah, it, it truly is. And you know what, Joe? I'm sorry. And you can blame Pete for that because um, Pete's the one who does, you know picks the calls. So um, I, despite what he may have told you off the air. Um, thank you so much for that, Pete. Yeah, you got to be very careful what you say, even when you're saying something positive about your country. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yes, good morning. Mary Walter with you in for Brian Kilmeade. Just want to let you know, coming up later this hour, we will speak with uh, Dr. Kanta Ahmed, a pulmonologist who's treated COVID-19 patients. She's also a visiting fellow at the Independent Women's Forum 
And uh, we're going to talk to her about those protests and the virus, which apparently is not um, endemic. It's not around if you're protesting. Uh, Only if you're at like a farmer's market or a grocery store. That's where it is. Uh, Joining us now, though, Congressman Matt Gates, member of the House Judiciary and Armed Services Committees. You can catch his podcast, Hot Takes with Matt Gates. Find him on Twitter at Rep Matt Gates. Congressman, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mary. Lot, a lot to talk to you about. Uh, the House Judiciary Committee, of which you are a member, is going to hear testimony uh, tomorrow on Wednesday. Excuse me, on Wednesday, from a Philanese Floyd, who is George Floyd's brother. This will be the first House hearing on policing reforms since George Floyd's death. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but aren't policing uh, procedures and, and, and things like that, the guidelines, aren't they done at a local level? When policing decisions are made at the local and state level, they are made best. When we try to federalize police, uh, you know, we have not always gotten the greatest cooperation from the political left. You know, I'm old enough to remember when the left wanted to abolish Border Patrol and ICE. Uh, Those are federal entities that help enforce our laws. Now, I think this is more about the fact that the Democrat judiciary chairman is in a tough Democratic primary in New York. And, you know, I mean, after Joe Crowley lost to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a lot of these uh, these older uh, candidates who've been around a long time are worried about that. So this is this is going to be a a virtue signal for some of them. Uh, I am grateful that we've got uh, folks who I, I think want to be more productive in the discussion about policing coming in. Before George Floyd's death, the last uh, expert witness that the Democrats had brought in on policing to the House Judiciary Committee was Al Sharpton, someone who had called cops pigs, someone who had himself incited racial riots and said people shouldn't live in his communities if they were Jewish or if they were white. So I don't think that that's the type of uh, conversation we should have. And I am grateful after hearing uh, Mr. Floyd's brother uh, speak uh, in, in, uh, you know, very candid and in very raw terms that they didn't view these riots as glorifying or honoring the death of their family member. And I want to make sure that the American people know that the Republican Party stands against defunding the police. We stand against these riots. And uh, if there's a way to have a conversation about you know, how community, local-level policing can be done better, uh, we'll be eager to listen but certainly not eager to uh, engage in the anti-police rhetoric that we see coming out of some of our Democratic congressional colleagues. So if they brought Al Sharpton in as their expert, how serious is this going to be taken? If, the, if, that's, if that's the tone and tenor, and as you said, an election year, uh, and, and people worried about being reelected, we're watching, we're watching Democrats all across the country bow down in front of these rioters and, and, be, and, and saying what they're forcing them to say, compelled speech, compelled behavior, in order to pacify the crowd. So how serious is this even going to be? Because I think a conversation needs to be had, and, 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 but it has to be based in fact and not emotion. I don't know if you can do that. Yeah, right now I think they're trying to literally build a, build a castle out of emotion for the woke-topia that they want us to all live in. Uh, the the seriousness, I think, uh, will will be important for Republicans to appreciate because the proposals that they're going to come up with are seriously dangerous. Defunding our police is not something that helps the weak. You know, I think about my own mother, someone who's 
70 years old in a wheelchair. We have had uh, always a good relationship with the police because we know that they, they protect the vulnerable among us. They protect the weak. And uh, if you attack the police, you know, you may see what happened in Buffalo, New York, where they had 57 people who were on their riot force and on their crowd control force just resigned because they felt as though their political leadership didn't have their back when there were criticisms uh, thrown their way. So, look, I know we can all improve in how we treat other people as human beings. We should always aspire to be more understanding of one another. But that should not come at the expense of order in our society, of the safety of our people. And it's why I've always I've been encouraging of the president to make sure that the people of this great country know that our government will stand for safety and security and to protect people and that we're not going to bow down to those who would bring chaos to our communities and to our streets. You know, you talk about defunding, and that seems to be just the 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 bell, you know, the buzzword of the week. And you have, uh, you know, Mayor De Blasio on Friday saying, "No, I'm not for de- defunding police." And then on Sunday, he is. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take some money, and we're gonna defund. You know, as a t- I guess he's trying to token show that he's defunding right. the police. You have AOC and her wing who are just so far left; they're almost right. Uh, you know, want to defund the police, but we know that court. I think it was a Harvard study that came out that showed that when you defund the police, the areas in which, that are hurt the most are the inner cities, are these people that they say they're trying to protect, in which they're, they're rioting in their name. Homicides went up in Baltimore. Homicides went up in Chicago when the police step back and disengage from the public. How can the Republicans control the narrative on this? Because it's something historically Republicans are not good at. It's an election year for this president. The photo op in front of St. James, I don't think went that well. It's one of the first things that he's done that I've said, "Mm, I don't think that that went that well. How can he recapture the narrative of law and order when the Democrats are so dominating it? Well, we have to make the case substantively uh, regarding the the data sets you just mentioned, the Ferguson effect, some researchers call it, where when you demonize police in an area, when when you make them feel as though they shouldn't be on patrol and shouldn't be engaging with the community, even in productive ways, then the very communities that are hurt most are inner-city communities with higher concentrations of, of minorities. And that's not something that any of us want to see. We want all our communities to be safe. So I think that in recapturing that narrative, uh, the president's going to talk about you know, the fate of one great nation, that we rise or fall together. And when, when we allow this just debauchery, this chaos to occur with broken cars and buildings and churches on fire, that, that we don't live up to that high standard that we're called to as Americans. And I think that He's got a unique ability to do that, and he will do it. But in the Wednesday hearing, I do think that Republicans in Congress have to lay the foundation that if we were to ta- if we were to go beyond the emotion and we were to take the Democrats' policy proposals to their logical conclusions, those conclusions are very bad for the very people that they that they purport to be fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the idea. And we had Cal Thomas on on Friday who was talking about the president doing another contract with America, but it's a contract with all Americans, you know, not just black Americans or and stop putting us into groups. And I like what you said there about all America. Black Americans want to be safe in their homes, too. It's not just it's not just a white American thing. You know, we all have the same goals for our families. So hearing hearing 
hearing that, I think, is a really great message if if the Republicans can cut through the clutter and the control that the left has on our media. I, I think that that would be uh, fantastic. And I'm really anxious to see what happens in these hearings. I know you're in the minority, but I still, want, I still can't wait to hear uh, what happens in these hearings. And Hopefully the House will come back to to the Republicans. Um, I want to talk about something on the Senate side, though. Lindsey Graham was on with Maria Bartiromo, and I want you to hear what he had to say about um, trying to access and do some interviews with some FBI employees. Here's what I would say to Mr. McCabe. In the uh, warrant application by the FBI and Department of Justice to the FISA court, you said that the Russian subsource was truthful and cooperative. Uh, Inspector General Horowitz found a memo about the interview with the Russian subsource saying that the Russian subsource disavowed all the information in the dossier, that it wasn't reliable, that it was bar talk, it was hearsay, it shouldn't be used to get a warrant. Uh, so at the end of the day, the FISA court rebuked the Department of Justice and the FBI, and I want to call every person who signed that warrant and have them account for what they knew and when they knew it. We're not going to let the system blame some low-level intel analyst or case agent for defrauding the court. I believe it goes up to the very top, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Yet he goes on to say, I made a request to interview the case agent and the intel analyst who spoke to the subsource, and they're denying me the ability to do that. He did not say it whether, whether it was the FBI or the DOJ, but they are denying me the ability to do that, so I'm going to keep working the system. How can this happen? I don't understand well, how Lindsey Graham could be stonewalled. Yeah, this is Washington talk. What Senator Graham needs to do is issue a subpoena uh, and compel testimony. You know, this is the pro- this has been the problem with Republicans when we have power. You know, we want to send requests and we want to play patty cake with the witnesses. When the Democrats have control, they don't play this game. They send subpoenas. They yep. hold uh, government officials in contempt. They go to court to compel testimony. So we got to play as tough as they do. I'm grateful that Senator Graham understands that the people who signed these fraudulent uh, applications to the FISA court, and it wasn't just one, it was, it was actually multiple renewals to that court, uh, that those people have a higher level of accountability. Remember when he called Rod Rosenstein in just last week, Rod Rosenstein admitted that he didn't even really read that which he had signed. And, right. and I think that that uh, is opening the door uh, to really just how troubling this was and how devious it was uh, to do anything possible to delegitimize the president. But by the same token, they didn't really grill Rosenstein as to why he, he continued to renew the investigation, why he wrote such a large yeah. scope. They didn't really drill down into any of that. And I'm sitting there yelling at the TV going, come on, boys, fight like you want to win. And it's I want to it's different over there. They, you know, that's why we got to win the house back. We actually got the killers over in the house. Yeah, it's 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 so maddening. I was, I, I keep saying I want to get a. Um, I told Louis Gomer I want to get a, a, a like one of those flexible bracelets that had used to have what would Jesus do? I want to have WWDD. What would Democrats do? And then right. just look at that and think the way Democrats would handle it, and then go do that because they're killers. You know, this was the great failure of the Paul Ryan leadership of the Republican Party. Uh, You know, he never issued, never gave us authority for one subpoena. I think the American people reasonably would ask, well, if all this corruption happened, you know, two, three years ago, why are we only learning about it now? Where were our leaders to 
to expose this in real time so it didn't do such damage to our great nation? And the answer is that the Republicans were all too willing to sit idly by uh, under Paul Ryan's leadership. And I hope we've learned that lesson uh, when we take the majority back. But I'm always for seeing more vigor out of our senators in their questioning. Good. You get me in there. I'll put them through boot camp and you'll see a lot of uh, work. Um, Very last thing. Lisa Page joining MSNBC as a legal analyst. Her first appearance next to Andrew Weissman. What do you think about that? (laughs) I I honestly thought it was like something from The Onion when I first saw that. Like, what are they going to have a show together called Insurance Policy with Lisa Page and Andrew Weissman? I'm just sort of wondering, like, was Peter Strzok not available? Could they not get him? Like to go in and, and, and do like maybe dramatic reenactments of their text messages back and forth. It, it, is, it is bizarre, but it is also sad that this purports to be a news organization because you saw that these were the very people that had no evidence but maintained an effort to try to dislodge the voters and our democracy. Yeah. I mean, there are people in Washington, D.C., and this is what the listeners need to understand, who believe that they can substitute their judgment for the judgment of Americans because they think they're smarter and because they think they deserve the power more. And that is not what our country is about. That's why we got to keep fighting back against it. It's disappointing to see them on MSNBC, but at least they're out of the, at least they don't have the ability to arrest anybody or charge anybody anymore over there. They, they can just wag their finger into the camera. Well, on the upside, when John Durham's report comes out and so do the indictments, at least they'll know where to find them. So there you go. <laughs> Matt, Congressman Matt Gates, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Uh, Hot Takes with Matt Gates is the podcast. You can find him on Twitter at, at Rep Matt Gates. Thank you. Have a great week and good luck on Wednesday. Thanks, Mary. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. I'm just going to get to a couple calls here from people commenting on defunding the police. And this idea from the left, how Black Lives Matter just just morphed from, you know, from their initial cause of being against racism and everything, which sounds really super noble, right? Into hashtag defund the police. And that we, you're like, wait, wait, what? How, how did we get from here to there? What just happened? Because defunding the police victimizes inner city communities and victimizes the same people that they say they want to save. So it makes no sense to me at all. But we're living in crazy times. Uh, also... You have Drew Brees, who was just put through the ringer last week because he talked about his grandfathers and how they viewed the American flag and how he views the American flag. And for that, because he spoke out with his love, his opinion of the American flag, he was trashed and he apologized once and that wasn't good enough. So then he had to apologize again, and then his wife came out with this whole thing about we're the problem, and, and, and they, had a, they, they stood there and made them beat themselves over the head. It was crazy what they had to, what they just had to go through and humiliate themselves in order to appease the mob because he dared speak out for his love and how he views the American flag, his own personal opinion. Crazy town. Anyway, uh, 866-408-7669. Let's go to Williamsburg, Virginia. Bill, good morning. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm doing just great. You wanted to talk about Drew Brees. Go ahead. 
Well, I want to mention, too, that I believe this is revelation in the Bible, and, and Jesus said that uh, you have the hour of trial. I believe we're all, all being on trial now to see how we behave in these bad circumstances before his kingdom comes. And also, uh, yeah, as far as Drew Brees, uh, I think the idea is get rid of football because soccer, the, with the one world government that's coming in in Revelation, it mentions uh, with the Antichrist as the leader, they, there'll be a one world government that says um, all the world will follow the beast. And the soccer is a sport that they've been promoting in America. And I think they're going to try to take soccer over to the football because people aren't going to want to, patriotic people aren't going to want to, you know, buy the stuff they're trying to feed us and, 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 and think that they should kneel uh, there. But for him to change his mind, he plays for the saints. I think that's kind of a symbol right there of the Christians, and he plays for the saints. And people are going to say bad things about Christians in the future. And if mm-hmm. you say stand, try to stand up for them, you're going to get this pressure that says, oh, you're terrible. You can't say anything good about them. They're horrible. Just like, you know, Breeze had to take his thing back. So this all amounts to the kind of world where um, we knew in World War II and that. And, and it's that kind of a world that's coming. Right. And, and the, the rapture wow. is what's going to save the Christians. So we got to prepare for the rapture. But the ministers need to speak whoa, out. Whoa, whoa. Okay, 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 wait. We, we, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of time to go into the rapture. Okay, this is we only have like a minute, and I think the rapture requires a lot more time than that, Bill. Um, but um, I'm not quite sure how the end of times and soccer roll into each other there. But um, they've been trying to bring soccer to the states for a long time. I remember when the Cosmos played in Giant Stadium and they had Pele and Franz Beckenbauer. And like I was a kid, and I remember that we used to go up to the Meadowlands. You know, it'd be like a big deal to go to the Meadowlands to go watch soccer. It was, it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. So, um, but it never really took off. And um, I don't know if soccer is the biggest problem we got coming down the road. Uh, I can deal with it. The rest of it, you know, rapture and all that stuff. Kind of hoping I'm dead by then. Uh, but that's just me. Coming up, Dr. Kanta Ahmed will talk about coronavirus and those protesters not socially distancing, but yet you must wear a mask. It's coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. New York City has also been the location for the protests with the most number of people. We are concerned that those protests may have increased the spread of the virus. We're going to do 35,000 tests per day just in New York City. Snapshot, snapshot, snapshot. So we'll watch it on a daily basis to find out exactly what is happening. All right. You heard him there, Governor Andrew Cuomo, on uh, the protesters. They weren't wearing masks. They weren't social distancing. So they're going to find out, Okay, well, what happened because of that? What's the fallout? Here to discuss it, Dr. Kanta Ahmed. She's a pulmonologist who has treated COVID-19 patients at NYU Langone. You can find her on Twitter at at misdiagnosis, M-I-S-S, not misdiagnosis like a false false one, you know, misdiagnosis. Uh, And she is a visiting fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. Doctor, thank you for coming back. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mary, for having me back on. So you heard what uh, the governor had to say there with the protesters uh, and and testing, and they're going to they're going to have um, locations with the for a protest with the most number of people. Um, they're concerned that the protests may have increased the spread of the virus. They're going to do thirty five thousand tests per day just in New York City. 
Um, based on what we've learned from other areas like the uh, Lake of the Ozarks, where we did not see a large increase in numbers after Memorial Day weekend and everyone was saying, you know, that was going to happen. What do you think we see here in two weeks? We are almost certainly going to see an escalation of cases. And what I'm very worried about is that while all of the protesters were largely young people, uh, many of the protesters are of color and appear to be of African-American race. And they will go back to their homes where they have older aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents. African-Americans in this pandemic have borne the largest proportion of deaths. Sixty percent of the deaths in the pandemic have been amongst African-Americans. And so my concern is already the transmission to family members, as well as the surge that is going to put pressure um, on, on New York and on our healthcare resources. Uh, one of the problems is people can be asymptomatic and be infectious. And young people generally feel invincible and, in, and immortal and uh, may not be taking precautions as seriously. But there's no way you can distance in a protest, even a peaceful protest. You can't distance when you're in crowds, you're shouting, you're singing, you're chanting. There's tear gas from time to time or smoke bombs uh, from time to time. I don't think we've had so many of those in New York City. We've seen them in Washington. And all of that aggravates aerosolization. So we will see 10 days from now a peak and a surge in cases, and we just don't know how bad it will be. You, you talked about the African-American community and how they are much more likely to be, uh, be, they have a higher death rate of COVID-19. But why is that? Is We, we know, is it because that, that they are also more likely to be obese than other races? They're more likely to be diabetes, diabetics, and they're also more likely to have hypertension. So those are the three big comorbidities that we see with COVID-19. So that we go go you know fall right into line as to why they are much more likely to to have a a harsher outcome if they contract the virus so i think you've already answered part of a very complicated question like all complicated questions there are no simple answers some of it is to do with higher prevalence of these conditions hypertension diabetes obesity in people of color in african-americans also in hispanic parts of the population um, the, the death rates in Chicago were very high. In Chicago, on average, America has about 13.2% of our population is African-American. In Chicago, that prevail- that's a higher proportion. They've had very high death rates in, in Chicago and Illinois. Uh, but I think it is also there is a true disparity in access to health. A lot of communities where, are, where there are people are poor, there are more people of color, more people African-American, less access to health care, less health literacy. That means a basic degree of knowledge about health, less access to healthy food. We have actually in urban areas what we call food deserts where people cannot go to a healthy grocery store and buy real produce. So it's many, many factors. Um, some people will have written articles to go as far as saying COVID is causing deaths because of racism. That's too simplistic. But different ethnic groups and different racial groups have different health risk factors. And unfortunately, the burden of this pandemic falls very heavily on, on people of color and people that are poorer. Though here in Long Island, we've seen deaths amongst all racial groups, including Caucasians, mm-hmm. and independent of demographics. That means wealthy or poor. So it's a very concerning disease. And we're not just thinking about deaths, Mary. 
It's also about hospitalization. Many people were hospitalized, came out, and still have ongoing problems with their breathing and still need to be on oxygen. And we don't know the long-term impact of this. I mean, the politicians are fine to now tout, as Cuomo is touting, and de Blasio, how many thousands of tests they're doing, where the heck were they when they were inviting protesters and encouraging protesters? It's not just New Yorkers that were protesting. People traveled here to do that. That was so incredibly irresponsible. Plus, there's a letter signed by about a thousand medical professionals, many yes. of the medical students, many of them accomplished, saying we think social justice protests are more important than social just distancing. And I just think the world has gone mad. Have you forgotten what we've gone through in this country? In New York alone, as we said on Friday, 10 times the deaths that we've had in 9-11 have already happened here. People are thinking that the pandemic is receding simply because of the enormous effort New Yorkers have made to shut down this pandemic. We've been beside ourselves trying to make that happen. Meanwhile, cases are rising in Utah and Arizona and dozens of other states. This thing is by no means over. But to see our politicians, and I blame them equally, de Blasio and Cuomo, celebrating and welcoming the protests at this time, when on Wednesday we just reached zero deaths mm-hmm. from COVID in New York, that's going to change, was incredibly irresponsible. And that's not to diminish the need to protest a brutal injustice, which I think was egregious, But this was an absolutely irresponsible way to encourage it. On Saturday, Mary, I actually took a walk around Manhattan and I was devastated to look at the damage, the complete Manhattan is under siege. I don't know what shopkeeper is going to open today and remove that plywood and take a chance. What shopper is going to come? There is a feeling of a lack of safety in New York. I was with a female friend. It's been frightening for her to walk at four o'clock in the afternoon. There have been couples that have said that they have been threatened at knife point for money. We are losing law and order in New York as we come out of a pandemic. Yes. And the other thing, too, that I think comes out of this is law abiding citizens see what was being allowed with like, wait a minute, I guess we're not doing COVID anymore because they were allowed to just run wild. And and, and you see you see our politicians protesting with them on the streets, not social distancing. You know, some of them not wearing masks as I well, I'm outside. Yeah, but you're right next to somebody. You told me I can't right. do that. I can only have, you know, a group of 25 people. You're with hundreds. How come I can only have 25? And I'm noticing, I'm right. seeing a lot of people, right. and I feel the same way that, way that you know, um, why so, can they do it, but I can? And people are flouting it so and saying, you know what, yeah, done. You're, you're absolutely right, Mary. And what we're talking about is mass gatherings. And officially in the literature, mass gatherings in public health literature was defined as people more than 25,000 in a group. Those protests have been bigger than that. Uh, but in the pandemic, we were not allowing uh, small numbers, even 10 people could not gather at the start of this pandemic. And also the remark about the police not having PPE. I feel such heartbreak for the police. First of all, they've been tarred by what, this one egregious action that does not reflect the policemen and policewomen of America in any way. This is an egregious and out, outlier behavior. Second, they now are mandated to have extra long shifts. They're working 12-hour shifts, often running into 15 hours. They can't go home to sleep. They have to be cohorted in their ranks. They then have to interact with these protesters. They then have to apprehend them. Many police officers in New York are sleeping in their precincts. So you don't think we're going to have more outbreaks amongst our law enforcement when we need to control this lawlessness? It's just 
I would like to scream. I really would. Yeah, yeah and and I, I think that, uh, as, as I said, I, I see it. I know I have that attitude now. Like, wait a minute. I can go to a protest, but I can't go to my friend's house? <laughs> I got news. Well, we- it raises a lot of questions for many people. And, of course, one has to treat everybody as if they are infectious. I've broken away from my office for a few moments to speak to you. And every patient, we screen carefully. I wear PPE. My patient is wearing PPE. We keep our interactions efficient and short because we have to protect each other. And that is how we should be working together in this country. I want businesses open. I want people to be able to sit inside a restaurant. I want people to be able to shop. I want this economy back up on its feet. But we do not throw out our precautions of hand hygiene and masks. And certainly, I will never be in a mass gathering for I don't know how many years before I go back and see a rock concert or I go to a symphony. It's going to be a long time for that to come back. But in New York City, we weren't just the nation's uh, uh, epicenter, remember? We have 1.9 million cases in the U.S., 6.7 million in the world. We have more deaths in America than anywhere else at about 110,000 now. We were the world's epicenter. We had more cases in New York than even in Wuhan with more deaths. So, of course, Chinese data may not be accurately reported. So, so this was beyond imagination after all the excellent work Governor Cuomo did for us as intensive care doctors with President Trump in getting us ventilators and other equipment, you then ruined it with the attitude and not just inviting protesters, but but putting hamstrings on the police to avoid them imposing the curfews or limiting the protests. That's why we had so much wanton violence, which you can see the remains of all over New York City. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Kanta Ahmed, uh, you can find her on Twitter at at Miss, M-I-S-S, Diagnosis. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time, and it was great to have you on again. Lovely, Mary. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You're so kind. All right, your call's coming up, 866-408-7669. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement? I think there's racism in the United States still, but I don't think that the uh, law enforcement system is systemically racist. I understand the the distrust, however, of the African-American community, given the history in this country. Uh, I think we have to recognize that for most of our history, our institutions were explicitly racist. Since uh, the 1960s, I think we've been in a phase of reforming our institutions and making sure that they're in sync with our laws and aren't fighting a rear guard action to impose inequities. And that was the Attorney General Bill Barr on CBS's Face the Nation uh, saying, yeah, there's problems, but is it systemic in our law enforcement? Um, If you look at the facts... I don't know if you can support that. If you look at the facts and you look at more unarmed white Americans are shot by the police than unarmed black Americans, it's hard to to make that case. Are there other things that may be, quote unquote, systemically racist? Yeah, we could probably and let's explore those things. Let's let's talk about those things. But I don't think it's it's residents in our police departments. And I do. Are there bad cops? Sure. Are there bad teachers? You bet. Are there bad lawyers? Mm-hmm. 
There's some of them that I think are downright evil. Uh, or, or, you know, doctors, you can go through every profession and there are bad people, but you don't, um, you, you don't criticize or, or put them all in that basket of deplorables with that one person, right? You don't blame all cops because the death of George Floyd, that's not fair because there are plenty of good cops and they shouldn't have to, I don't think they should have to kneel down and supplicate themselves in front of the mob in order to prove it. I don't think you should have to prove that, you know, to see if you're a good person. And if the mob will say, okay, you're good. You, you know, you, you, I don't know. I, I just don't like the trend that we've seen. Uh, 866-408-7669. We've been talking about defunding the police. We were also talking about Drew Brees and how he had to apologize because he gave his opinion of the American flag and what it means to him and what it meant to his grandfathers who both fought for this country. And for that, he was uh, put in sackcloth and ashes. He had to douse himself in the ashes, shave his head, and walk through the streets with someone ringing the shame bell and, um, you know, throwing things at him. He had to, he had to apologize twice. I, it's, I don't know. Uh, let's go to Illinois. Jacob, good morning, Jacob. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. We were just uh, talking I'll... to go ahead. We were just talking oh, to the doctor ahead. about COVID, and you wanted to comment on that. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was pretty funny how the whole scope of things, you've got all the protesters right now who are going out and fighting for uh, injustice, basically, you know, racial equality and fighting against police brutality. And that's an issue now with COVID. Like, it's all of a sudden something that's going to put lives at stake. But two or three weeks ago, Republicans were out protesting themselves, but to get haircuts and to go to the gym without masks, mind you. And that wasn't an issue. Um, also, with Drew Brees, I, don't get me wrong, I think it was a little bit of an overreaction for everybody to demonize him like that. But you can speak about his grandparents, but you're not speaking about, I believe it was Malcolm Jenkins, who also had grandparents in the war, who said, yeah, they fought too, but when they came home, they weren't greeted to a hero's welcome. Brees' grandparents were, and he didn't recognize that. So... I don't well, none, I none of our mean. well, if you want to take it, that, I mean, none of our soldiers in uh, after Vietnam were welcome home, black, white, or other. No, I mean that's that's fine. I, that's a terrible thing too. But, right, but see, but that's oh, my no. point. D- that, but that's exactly my point. That's exactly the point. Is the country isn't perfect, as Drew Brees said. We are not a perfect country. But you know what's great about this country is we learn and we grow. We still we don't have a caste system. You know, India's had a caste system forever. We don't have that here. We have learned from our mistakes and we have grown and we've righted those wrongs. How many white people died in uh, fighting for the North, fighting for the freedom of their fellow Americans who just happen to be of color? A lot. Uh, millions. Well, not millions, probably hundreds of thousands. But I don't know the exact number, so don't yell at me. But, but we, don't get, we don't look at that and give credit. We're like, well, it's still not perfect. We're never going to be perfect because no human being is perfect. And I think we do ourselves no, a disservice. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that premise because I think too many people are assuming they're going to... There's too many people on the left and too many people on the right who both assume that they're going to change someone's ideology. And, and that's the you, no, listen, I, I would rather fight for the moral high ground. I'd rather look for who is needing what most when and helping them at that time. But we've I got think, people on the extreme left who are wanting to yes. abolish the police, which is stupid. That's absolutely ignorant. Then you've got people on the right who aren't even right. giving credit to anything. Listen, I'm a white, I'm a white ja- guy. I'm, yeah, Jacob, I don't mean I was, to be rude to you. I was handcuffed when I was 10. Yeah. Oh, 
Well, you, you were probably quite the handful, and I don't mean to cut you off here. I'd love to hear the rest of your story. But um, I just want to end on something a little bit also crazy, but a little bit lighter here. HBO Max has rebooted Looney Tunes, the cartoon. You know this guy right here? Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> that guy, Elmer Fudd, they have taken his shotgun away taken his shotgun away he will now his attacks against bugs bunny will be restricted to the to using sticks of dynamite booby traps and dropping heavy objects on bugs bunny they're removing his second amendment rights taking them away from him which i just think is crazy and insane and uh looney tunes haha uh also live pd and cops have been pulled from tv no shows with the cops Mm-mm. all right i'll be with you again tomorrow Thank you for joining me. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.